Good morning. Power of Jesus. Over the last few weeks, uh, I have a habit that I like to do throughout the years, read the Gospels, and especially in this season of the year, around Christmas, you read the Gospels a lot, especially if you're a pastor, and also around the Easter season. I, um, I've been contemplating about doing a series now on John for about two and a half years. I've, I've taught this book so many times and always are intrigued about something I've never seen. And then the thought occurred to me that in this season, I'm teaching a lot of John without really trying to go to John. I just, like next weekend, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's John 17. Today's John 15. Last weekend was John 14. And we've been doing different passages. But today, if you'll open your Bibles to the, to the book of John, chapter 15, and he talks about the vine, the branches. But I want to set it up first this way. Wondering about the disciples of what they must have felt, we looked at the discourse of the upper room, the Passover meal, and the guys had reclined, the disciples had reclined at the table to be with Jesus, and he had the great promise. He says, I will depart, I will leave to go and be with my Father, but I'll give another, a comforter, an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. What a blessed thing. But I've wondered if the disciples had contemplated that, you know, we've watched Jesus do his earthly thing, we've watched his miracles, we've watched him even raise the dead, we've watched him heal the sick, he's, he's touched the blind, he's touched the, the deaf, he's... He's done so many miraculous things. He has crowds. He has thousands following him. And yet he goes in the upper room and he tells them, hey, guys, I'm leaving. You just, can you imagine? They might have thought, did we hitch our horses to the wrong wagon? Have we hitched up to the wrong one? We believe him to be the Messiah. We believe him to be a rabbi, a great teacher. But, you know, they also got to remember that they'd seen Jesus feed the 5,000. They had seen him walk on the water. What an amazing thing. They had seen him give sermons. They saw the stock of Jesus go up. They saw the stock of Jesus go down. They saw the crowds come. They saw the crowds leave. Many followed Jesus, the gospels say, and then many departed and they shrunk back and they couldn't follow him any longer because it got too tough. But one day he said, I am the light of the world and stock was up. That was a great thing. Another time he said, what I want you to do is I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they thought, oh, cannibalism. I, I don't think so. I, they didn't understand the Eucharist. They didn't understand Holy Communion. So Jesus had people that were following. He had the disciples. They had understanding to some point. They had confusion. And yet they were losing their best friend as we marched toward Easter. At one point in the life of Jesus, they, they cheered him. And then another point, they took the stones and they were going to stone Jesus Christ. And eventually we know that they flogged him and nailed him to a cross and left him for death but here it is the critical phase is he leaves here he has a group of 11 this 11 we know is the disciples these 11 we know is the ones that we have many books of our bible that are attributed to their writings on the inspiration of the holy spirit but this group would turn the world upside down for jesus christ this group we would talk about in 2010 and 2050 and 3,000 or as long as the Lord tarries, we would talk about this group of disciples that follow Christ and their significance to us. A storm hit their life. I thought about storms. I've, I've preached on storms and I was just thinking that the bottom seemed to fall out of their life. Let's look at some scenarios that are very practical to us today. You have to have surgery and you're going in for a surgical procedure and you feel like your world's caved in. And somebody once said, you know, no surgery is minor. If it's surgery on me, it's major. Do I have a witness? 
And some are like, oh, I'm having surgery, I'm having surgery. What kind of surgery? Well, that's, that's nothing. And don't you love those people that have such compassion? Oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about it. In the day and age we live now, I've even known people that have heart surgery. And people go, oh, that's nothing now. They have that perfected. Have you had heart surgery lately? Have you had your chest ripped open? No, but I heard it wasn't too bad. Uh, oh, okay. I have a procedure coming up here in a matter of weeks. And everybody says, oh, pastor, it's nothing. It's nothing, nothing to it. Enjoy the experience. Well, I've thought of other things I'd rather do. Stand out in the road, dodge cars. But I'm going to do it. The other thing is the RS, you know, Cliff, our drummer today, is a CPA and he just hates, I mean, he loves, ta- I mean, he gets provided for by tax season. He hasn't been here for weeks because he's been working, but today he got to come. Could you put your hands together and thank God for Brother Cliff that he was here this morning? Thank you, Cliff. We love you. I understand he's going to be back next weekend. I certainly hope so because I don't want to drum. But here's the deal. The RS calls you the month of May and says, hey, i got a couple of questions I'd like to discuss with you about your tax return. Your anxiety goes way up, doesn't it, church? You're saying, yeah, I've been there. Here's the one that really gets you. The doctor's office calls, and it's not to confirm your appointments to say the doctor would like to talk to you. Could you call him back? Could you be in his office tomorrow? I've learned about physicians. They don't call to go, blessed are you. Just want to know if you were having a good day. I was just thinking about you. See ya. They usually call because something's abnormal. Something's not good on the scan. Your cell activity, something's not right, and they need a follow-up. They need to do something maybe quickly. But you know what happens when the bottom falls out? If you're not careful, you get gripped by fear, by panic, and by anxiety. And either, either one or all the combination of all that can just take the life and zap you. Well, these disciples, I mean, they were following the spiritual leader, the king, the king of glory. The bottom fell out because he was leaving. You know, I mean, they already had the Sadducees and they had the Pharisees and they had the other sects and they would all rise up against Jesus because Jesus says, I'm the son of God. And they go, oh, he blasphemes God. So there was a lot of things being said about him. But yet, I want to say that Jesus gives an illustration. So we're going to go back to a familiar text, John 15. Look at it. And the thing that I see here, what does the vine illustrate? It illustrates a lot, and we'll try to break it down. But John 15, 1 through 2, let's look at the word of God together. It says these words. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, and he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every other branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Even more fruitful. Jesus is into more. And he cuts off and he throws away. So what did Jesus want these guys to know? I think he wanted them to know many things. And one thing that Jesus wants me and you to know and for me to remind us this morning is God has a plan for your life. God has a plan. And it's a good plan. It's a holy plan. And I want you to fill out the first point. The purpose of Jesus in me. Jesus has a purpose for you and me. If you believe that body of faith, say amen. He has a purpose for you individually and corporately. And I'm grateful for that. You know, they thought here that, of course, God has a plan. He has a plan for Israel. They always went back to Israel. The Jewish people, they'd always go back to the synagogue. They'd always go back to the original Torah, to the text. And they go, yes, and they'd go to the Psalms. And if you write down Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9, listen to God's word. You brought a vine out of Egypt. That vine would be Israel. 
and you drove out the nations and you planted it and you cleared the ground for it and you took root and you filled the land. He's always trying to talk to him here about doing something. He's bringing something out and he's planting something. God's always, if you look at the nation of Israel, their, their symbol part of that is the grapevine. It's very symbolic. It's very powerful. And you know, we don't know a lot about grapes. I mean, if we lived in California, we'd probably have big vineyards. And I'd go, yeah, our membership, half of them own vineyards. Wouldn't that be cool? I think it'd be pretty cool because we'd probably be a pretty wealthy church. You know what I'm saying? But we'd probably have a lot of other challenges. So, but in Montgomery, Alabama, have you been run by the vineyards out in the road? And you, have you seen those beautiful vineyards? No. It's not a trick question. You can answer me, okay? But the biggest thing we can do is we can ride down to Clanton and I can ride by the peach orchards. And I can see peaches. But the same principles there, the peach has a tree and it produces a fruit. And when they have the right weather and the right environment, it produces big peaches. And have you ever been down there and stopped at that little place on the interstate and got homemade peach ice cream and just said, glory? Yeah, and we ought to take a field trip one day and go down there. Hundreds of, you like that, do you? And hundreds of us are just going to say our pastor said we need to come taste fruit. We're here. Anyway, just a thought. So this vine here, here, here it is the, to be in the vine. It means, just right there, it means being connected to Jesus. If you're in the vine, you abide in him, and him in you, you abide. You, uh, you, as we discovered one time, it's habitual fellowship with the one that is able to redeem and restore and bring life and add substance and give source and strength. You, you have a divine purpose to uh, bear much fruit. Now, I just want to think about this for a moment. We have... A divine purpose. Wow. A purpose from the king to serve his purposes, not my own purposes or my own agenda. And this divine purpose is really good. We get to get in on what God's doing. We get to play with, we get to partner with somebody that is much greater than us. He is the Lord God that made us in his image and he knows our frame and our very being. Wow. We get to play on his team which is the ultimate, it's the ultimate dream team, baby. It's a cool deal. God's team, the purpose team. You know, one thing about it, when you go with God, you're more. When you go with God, you get committed, you get committed to integrity. When you go with God, you get committed to doing things in an excellent manner if you really follow God. I remember earlier years, I used to be a huge racquetball player. I was much thinner than I am now. My knees held up extremely well. And I played racquetball at least one day a week. It was a great form of exercise. And I would take my day off and I would spend two hours on the racquetball court. I had this friend and we were about evenly matched. And it was almost like we tried to throw it, but we were both too stubborn, too prideful, and much too competitive to let the other one win. But almost every single week, I would win, he would win. He would win, I would win. That meant a tiebreaker. And almost every week, it almost seemed to work in a rhythm. I would win, he would win. He would win, I would win. That way we stayed friends. We played for a long time. It was a great sport. We would hit, and I would come out of there goggles and sweating and just going, yeah. And I, I thought I was getting better because I was playing him. Well, one day I had a student in our student ministry. He came to me and says, hey, Keith, I want to know if you and I can play racquetball. I said, sure, I'll take you in there, Brandon. So Brandon and I went in there, and we played a little racquetball. He was clueless. The boy didn't know what the racquetball was. I had to show him how to hold a racket. I had to tell him to put on goggles. And I hit it, and I beat him like, you know, he scored one point. Now, that's pitiful. I know you're on the guy. didn't even know how to hold a racket. I know, but you know, you got to play, and you got to win. Well, that was it. Three months later, he called me one day. Sal, you know this guy named Brandon. He called me and said, hey, let's play racquetball. I said, sure. 
I'll do anything to hang out with you. And I thought, man, this will be a joke. We went in. He hit the first ball he hit at that high off the back wall. I went, oh, the next shot. It was that high off the back wall. The next shot, that high. Then he hit me. I said, I've been duped. I scored one point the first game and no points the second game. And here's a true story because pastor had a horrible attitude. I wasn't abiding in Christ. Donna can tell you, this is the truth. I took my racket. I can go into my garage right now and show you where it is. I put it in my bag. I zipped it up and I've never played racquetball again. I was humiliated. Now you're saying, well, it's like you've got a problem. Well, right now my strings are dried out. You know, they're broken. But I used to play softball, very competitive softball. And I loved to play on teams that were better than me. And that wasn't very hard. And sometimes I'd get picked up and I'd go play with guys better than me. And it raised my game and my purpose seemed to be a little more. Here's the principle. You try to get on something that's better than you. You try to get on something that's pushing you, that stretches you. Well, there's not a team that will stretch you more than being on God's team. And the body said, God will stretch you. God will make you more. God will push your boundaries. He'll take you places you've never been, places maybe you didn't know you could go. Because he's God. He's creative. He's creator. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. Oh, God, you're great. But let's look at this passage here. He says he prunes those. He cuts off. He lops off those things that aren't fruitful. In other words, I think it probably nauseates him. It's just it, it doesn't really happen. He wants more out of us. He wants to produce more. If you study about grapevines, you know there's a, a slender vine, and then there's this fruit cane that comes up off of that, and then it buds, and then you have these things called laterals that run out to the side. They really have no value. They just kind of drain the substance and the source and the strength and, and the things, the nutrients that feed the vine. They cut off the laterals. Here's what I want us to think about. We have laterals on our life that do nothing spiritually. They do nothing about bringing the character of Christ. God once says, I'm going to prune it off. I'm going to cut it off. And if I cut it off, it's going to bear more fruit. You know what will happen over the next several weeks in all the communities around the south? People will have severe yard days, spring cleaning. Isn't that fun? But you'll see hedges and bushes and plants and stuff uh, stocked up by the curbside for people to come pick up. Because people want to see their bushes and their flowers and their trees mature and produce more. Or here it is. He's trying to, says, I'm going to prune you by my teaching. The word of God always reads us. The word of God prunes us. Do I have a witness? This word will read you if you read it. Now, if you try to see how fast you can read it, you're not getting it. But if you slow down and, and read a passage of Scripture and say, Lord Jesus, come, speak, prune me where it be necessary, then you're ready for the Master's use and something greater happens in your life. And so there's a commitment to his purpose. There's a writer we endorsed him here, the nation, the world endorsed him. He made millions of dollars. His name's Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church. Great, great guy. I led many groups around this fellowship. We did studies on the purpose-driven life. Great book. And I remember reading it once or one and a half times, and I said, I'm probably going to read it every year, and I haven't. As I was talking about purpose, God says, you've got a great text. It's full of hundreds of scriptures. Go pick it up. And I went over and I picked up this book that I'd not read in a few years. It was the all-time bestseller. It's just an amazing book. And here's some points that I just wanted to share. I want to give credit to Rick. Listen to this. The benefits of purpose-driven living. Write this down. This is not in your notes, just bonus material. No test on this. 
Well, there is a test, your life. The benefits of purpose-driven, point A, it gives meaning to life. If we are purpose people, purpose-filled people, we tend to add up. Life tends to matter. Life tends to, we have understanding and we do something different. So it, it, it pushes, it, it expands, it, it gives meaning. I, I talk to people all the time, they're going, I'm purposeless. I'm directionless. I, I don't know where I'm going. There's no direction. There's no order. There's no power. Okay, look at point B. If you're purpose-driven, it focuses your life. It concentrates your energy. You get laser sharp and you begin to laser in on the things that God has for you. And if you have purpose, you're focused. You, you go back to school, you get focused on pursuing that academic discipline and you get a degree. You get focused on a sport and you work at it with all your might because you want to be the very best. You're in sales. You study the product because you want to know the product. You want it to be able to answer the questions. You're a lawyer. You study the tenets of law. You understand the law, and you're able to respond. You're an accountant. You study accounting rules, and you understand accounting. You can answer questions, and you go to seminars. You become your best. It's no different in the kingdom of God. We become prepared. I like what it says when we focus in Ephesians 5.17. Write it down, Ephesians 5.17. Don't live in a careless manner, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. The master's Jesus. Jesus, what would you want? Would you show me? Would you show us? And point C is it motivates our life. When we're focus-driven people, when we're purpose-driven, our life gets focused and it drives us, it, it motivates us, and it gives us passion. And passion will dissipate when you don't have purpose. In my life, in our lives, I pray that we become a people of purpose, but a people of passion. You see, here it is. When you have passion, it drives everything else. When you have passion, it leaks. As we were meeting with Joe this weekend, he kept talking about vision leaks, vision leaks, passion leaks. If I'm passionate about God's word, it leaks from this stage. If you're passionate about, like, here we go. I'll give you this illustration. If if I decided, okay, I think we need to be bakers for Christ and we're just going to bake goods to the glory of God. And I want everybody to warm up your ovens and I want you to borrow an oven and I want you to get you an apron and let's just start baking and baking. And all we did was bake it. Everybody came in and shared their favorite recipes and we were bakers and all across the region go, that's the baking church. You're going, man, we'd be a fat church. Well, we would be. That's all we did was sit around eat and bake and it would probably be fun, but we'd go, what's our passion? People wouldn't go, well, you know, I think it's to, I think it's to love children. I, I think it's teenagers. I think it's singles. I think it's senior citizens. I think it's married people with one kid. I, I think it's the, no, 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 it's bacon. Or, or we're, we're the aerobic church. And we, if we just started having aerobics in here five days a week, you go, you are passionate about aerobics and training the temple for the glory of God. And that'd be a good thing, but that's not the purpose, the eternal purpose of God. Do you see what I'm saying here? But let me, let me get real raw with you. I want, I want you to hear this. Now, this is an indictment on you and on me. And I'm going to share it, and I'm going to see, and I'm going to know if you respond to this over next weekend and the following weekend. I'm giving you today because it's spring break, because, man, people are gone for these two weekends. But next weekend is Palm Sunday. And if something doesn't seriously turn around, and the next week is Easter. You know what I've been learning? We've been doing research and study. In the early days of the church, the early years... People brought people every weekend. That's how they came. Hundreds came. Every weekend, multiple people came to know Jesus Christ. Um, an amazing phenomena. 
And I remember one time somebody says, hey, one day we're going to go online. I said, stand in line where? I didn't know what online meant. I said, online? What are you talking about? He says, web. We're going to go online. We're going to have the internet. And we're going to have our own website. And I remember we hired a group out of Birmingham, Alabama called Ezekiel. And we had a website. And I thought, and I would go there going, this is cool. I don't know who does it, but this is cool. And we had a lot of people in the church in those days go, I don't know about that web stuff. I don't know about the computer. I'm just going to tell people. And people came every weekend. They found us at AUM. It was amazing. Well, now, as I've been asking people every weekend, I'd say five to one. In this service, it's probably true. I ask people how you came. I'm always asking people, how did you get here? What made you come? How did you find out? The web, the web. I went to the web. I listened to the web. I looked at the web, the web, the web. The web's bringing people. But Jesus said, when my power comes on you, you will be my witnesses, church. And you'll be invitational. So write down the word invitational. Be it invest, invite, invest, invite, invest in others, invite them. Let's begin to open our mouths and shout for the king and bring up Jesus. Amen? Hello? We are not telling people about the goodness of God. Who have you invited? I invite everybody I know. I really do. It's, 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 it's just, it's my heart. It's the overflow. God, I want them to know Christ. There's people in here right now. They're here because I've invited them. There are people here that you have invited. But there's so many here, we haven't invited anybody. I'm not like, God, if we just get a simple strategy down, our church could explode for the glory of the king. How many of you want to advance the purposes of God or advance your purpose? God's purpose matters. It's eternal in the heavens. It's the only reason we started a church. We had a great church. We had a great ministry. But we believe lost people matter to God. Amen? That's why I preach at Troy University every single Sunday morning. Students matter to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But I think we've gone to sleep at Ryan Road. And it breaks my heart. Because we're just not telling people about the king. We're just not testifying our faith. We have the Holy Spirit if we're in Christ. You're saying, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. Doesn't matter. You can testify. You can share about what Christ has done for you. That's enough. I got a letter this week. I'll probably share it each for a weekend. Man, it just encouraged me because Christ is changing somebody's life. He's working in their family. Hallelujah, God. So being pruned, being passionate, not being dissipated by the things. It's dreadful to be aimless without direction and purpose. A distinctive purpose of our lives is to bless God, to benefit others, and to bring glory to the name of God. Colossians 1.29, the Apostle Paul says, that's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. God gives me grace. God gives me energy. God gives me passion. God gives me the Holy Spirit. If I ask Him to fill me continually, God, sovereign God, fills me with His Spirit. And I can be his witness. There's a kingdom agenda here at home. At hand, church. This is not some ethereal issue to debate or discuss or to think that was religious rhetoric. I'm tired of rhetoric. I want change lives. Amen? If you really want what I want to do, I want to have videos every single weekend that we stand up and we shout and we clap to the king about a changed life every single weekend on those screens. How about you? That would motivate me and you more than anything. But you know what? We just, you know, we're busy. We just run here, you know. I hope they get it. 
God's changing lives. I'm not discounting that. I know he is. I, I talk to those people. But I wish we'd have so much purpose in our life that the purpose of Jesus is in me. We want Christ to be framed and formed in them. It's like when you hang around Christ, you begin to look like him. You take on his mannerisms. Has anybody ever said to you lately, you, you walk like your dad. You act like your dad. You talk like your dad. Now, or, or, or a girl going, you're like your mama. That's a, that's a compliment, isn't it? Hello? Is that a compliment? Man, a lot of times people tell us, I mean, you're like your mom. That's a compliment when somebody says their girls are like their mama. That is awesome. Poor Hannah. A lot of times people say, you're like your daddy. And it's in a good sense. They go, you love to be zealous for the king. You love to be passionate about your savior. But she looked at me one time. She's like, dad, I don't want to look like you. I said, I mean, who wants to look like this right here? You know what I'm saying? I mean, she's a beautiful college student with a head full of hair. But here's the one that always gets me and humbles me. We send out Christmas cards or people see us and, and people love to come up and they go, oh, I saw your three daughters yesterday. They're just beautiful. Who's the old geezer with them? Hey, no problem. Me. And I go, married over my head. See ya. <laughs> What'd you do? You know, okay, anyway, just a thought. Okay. I hope they married over their head too. And all the men are here said, Jay, you're learning. I remember one time you didn't say amen. You got in trouble. That's good. All right. Here we go. I want, to add, I want you to write down a question. Are you bigger spiritually this year than you were last year? Are you bigger? Are you more on purpose now than you were last week or last month? I want to look like Christ. I want to conform to the Savior, Romans 8, 29. I want to have family resemblance. Discipleship is a process. Abiding in Christ, Christ in me, me in Christ. The hope of glory fills you. He fills me. There's four resources I want you to write down about when we abide in Christ. Number one, we have the Scripture. It's the authoritative Word of God. It's the truth of God that governs and legislates and directs our lives. When we have Christ, we have His Word. The second thing is we have the Holy Spirit. He empowers, He fills, He indwells. We get under the influence of the Holy One. The third thing is we have trials. Now, abiding in Christ means we will have trouble. It means we have trials. But let me tell you the good thing about trials. It reveals strengths and weaknesses. And we all have weaknesses. Hey, let me tell you, if you don't think you got weakness, go ask your best friend. Your best friend will tell you quickly, hey, you got weaknesses. You want to know how many? You're like, well, you're not my best friend anymore. Well, they might be because they tried to tell you your weakness. And then the fourth thing is, we have relationships when we abide in Christ. We have relationships inside the body of Jesus, inside the body of Christ. And those relationships make us more. They, they keep us on track and they keep us spiritually hot. Oh, that's what I long for. God, make us spiritually alive with the purpose of God. Let's look at the second one quickly, the power of Jesus. He says, you abide in me and I abide in you. It's a great thing. Throw aside, I will throw it aside if you don't produce fruit. We choose to line up after Christ. We choose to be sincere in sincere, pure devotion devoted to Christ. It, it would be like this. Uh, you know, sometimes we can be sincere, but we can be sincerely wrong. I remember one time in a basketball game, and I've seen this more than once, kid was dribbling down court and they were playing and this kid threw the ball and the other guy came in and intercepted the pass he took the pass he stole the ball if you've been watching march madness that's a good thing he took the ball but in the process as he he reflected the pass he got turned around and he made it on down court and he put it in the basket 
two points for the other team. He was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. He put it in the wrong basket. I mean, that's not very smart, is it? Well, you know, we can be sincere and not fulfill the purposes of God. We cannot be devoted to the king. So God, help us to abide in you and you and us. And that's the whole thing. And as, as I look at this, God, we want your agenda, not our agenda. John, look at John 15, 3 through 6. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, the NIV says remain. In the in New American Standard, he says abide. But abide and remain, they're synonymous. You can interchange them. Remain in me, I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide or remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That's the goal of a Christ follower. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and they're burned. This whole abiding, healthy, abiding, habitual fellowship is 11 times right here in this little short section of Scripture. God's very serious. He's very clear. He goes, be attached to me. Don't sever from the vine. Don't be severed from me. And then he says, if, you're, if you are, if you're severed, I'll throw you into the fire. Now, some are like, does that mean, we're, does that mean hell? It, it could be hell. Jesus is not backing off hell. Jesus is real about hell. Jesus took care of the payment so we don't go to hell. Glory to God. Amen. We have Christ. We have a way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. But, but here, it could be that just they're, uh, they, they've given up. They're twisted. They're gnarled like the vine is. And, and, and they're missing. And, and they're worthless. Like, in a vine, like you, you take the fruit of the vine, but all this laterals and all this other junk, you just you cut it off and you throw it into a fire. You burn it. It's like chaff. There's, there's no purpose. Well, that's what God does with our lives. There, there's stuff that he just wants to burn off. Uh, I think he would say, I want to refine your life. I'm going to prune your life because I want you to be more fruitful. I want you to abide in me. I want you to have Holy Ghost power. I want to create powerful people. Now, let's talk about power for a minute. Jesus, this morning, from Acts, the book of Acts, from the book of John, from other passages, I know God wants powerful people. But preceding the day of Pentecost, I would submit to you, I think the disciples were pretty wimpy and ashamed and frightened and denied and all those things we read. But after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had descended, you know what? They became mighty warriors. And that's where we are today. We have the power of Jesus Christ that so powerfully labors and works from the inside out. I knew I'd work it in there. From the inside out. Did we sing a song today from the inside out? Here's the principle. From the inside out, Christ works in us. We make proclamation. We're his mighty witnesses. Thank you, God. I've got a question. How often do you bring up the name of Jesus in your conversations? Just, just reflect on it. Maybe write it down. Maybe draw a little box and go, how often do I bring up Jesus? See, that is a wonderful name, Jesus. Jesus. When I say Jesus, demons tremble. When I say Jesus, I command respect and authority in this room, in the spiritual realm, because Jesus is the name above every name. It's the only name under heaven which we must be saved, Jesus. So I'm just asking, how many times, I'm not saying we're always talking about Jesus. That'd be pretty cool, but we don't. But how often do we bring up Christ? How many times do we 
infiltrate into a conversation. We weave the gospel. We weave Christ into our story that people know you're a Christ follower because you abide in him and him in you. I, I think not near enough because I'm convinced this place would be filled because let me tell you, there's new churches since we started Christ Community in 96. There's been an explosion of community, independent churches, other churches, relocations. Glory to God. Here's what I think about church. There is so much room for every church to be overfilled, overflowing to the capacity. Do you agree? So it's not like, okay, it's just what happens is we like, who's the coolest? Who does the coolest? In 96, when we started this, we weren't trying to have a cool factor, but we had contemporary praise and worship and we didn't debate it. And everybody came and just people came from everywhere. Now everybody does it. So I'm trying to say, God, how do you reinvent us? God, how do you make us more alive? We abide in Christ, Christ in us. But we witness, we tell people about Jesus. Does that help anybody but me? We begin to proclaim. It's somebody at the market. It's somebody in the restaurant. It's somebody in the dry cleaners. It's somebody where you get your tires done. It's somebody you go to school with, teenagers. It's somebody on the university campus. It's somebody in the marketplace, in the cubicle. I don't know who it is. You just somehow find out, I'm going to talk about Christ this week. Let me give you a practical. We have a Seder meal coming up here the week of Holy Week. Most people don't know what a Seder meal is. I don't know if another church is going to have a Seder meal in the River Region. We'll be unique in that fact. Thank you, Dr. Ben Alpert, Nathan's dad. And in that fact, I invite you to invite your friends and begin to fill this place that people can see Christ in the Old Testament, that they can see Christ in the Passover. How easy is that? Everybody could just invite if you open your mouth. Isn't that a good word? Oh, God, we, we want to open. We want to. And listen to the third thing. There's the proof. The proof of Christ in me, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the Spirit. But others, he says in John 15, 7 through 11, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruits, the goal of a disciple, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, so I have also loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Your joy may be full. Oh, God, that's what we want. So when, we, when we've been, I want you to hear this. When you and I have been with Jesus, other people know it. Others just know. In the book of Acts, I think the fourth chapter, there's a great passage, and it says, they were ordinary, unschooled men. But they had been with Jesus, and they took note. And that's my prayer, is that I long for the day that people just go, they're not the coolest, they don't have the newest building, they don't have the biggest, they don't have this. They're just people that have been with Jesus. They abide in him, and him in them, and he changes their lives. Isn't that what you long for? Do you long for that kind of fellowship? I, I don't think we do. I think we just give it lip service. Because I really think if we're passionate about Jesus Christ, we will not be able to contain the gospel message and the power of God in this place. So the proof in me, the proof in you. See, we move from scared to confident. We move from intimidated by the enemy to being people of hope, people that are dedicated to the king. Oh, God, change us, transform us, 
Help us to abide. Help us to give control to the Holy Spirit. And somehow in that process, transformation happens. That's the big buzzword the last two or three years. Transformation. Transformational ministries. Everybody wants to talk about transformation. It's a great word. I don't see a lot of it, but transformation is a great biblical word. God wants to transform you and me from the inside out. Next time we sing that song, I hope you go, wow, that is a scriptural song. So what does fruitfulness look like? Look in the box quickly. My prayers are more effective. We're trying to learn that on Monday mornings as men around here. We're learning that when we abide in Christ and God's word abides in us and in him, and when we pray God's word, we don't think or hope God's will. We know God's will, and we have authority in heavenly places with high powers, and we overcome strongholds, and we know that we're victorious, and our prayers are more effective. And I've never met a people that don't want their prayers more effective. Have you? I want my prayers to count. I want my prayers to be heard. So do you. So you get more effective as you abide in Christ. Is the, the agenda of Jesus Christ becomes your agenda. Oh, it's so easy. Man, I, I struggle with this. I want to make my agenda Christ's agenda, and it always stinks. I mean, you, you know it stinks. I know it stinks. I don't always admit it, but I'm like, man, that was horrible. But when I get the agenda of Jesus, wow, it's a sweet fragrance unto him. So if God would say yes, what if God said yes to all your prayers? Could you imagine how crazy it would be? How many of you are grateful God has not answered all your prayers? I am. Because I've prayed some dumb prayers. Like the dumbest prayer I told you all years ago, I'll tell you again. This is the dumbest prayer. And I, we've all probably been guilty of it. I sit down with a honking, hot, chocolate, Krispy Kreme donut and ask God to bless this to the nourishment of my body. <laughs> there ain't nothing nourishing. Dr. Allen says, that's the wheels of death, baby. There ain't, so when, if, I, if I go to somebody and they've got all sweet sitting there, they go, would you have a prayer? I'm like, for what? I'm thankful you provided, but I'm not going to pray for that to nourish me. So some of you just need to quit. I mean, those are just dumb. You ought to see some. Think about it. You, write down this week all dumb prayers you prayed. You know. Now you're saying, well, you don't want us to pray? No, that's not what I said. Pray without ceasing. But just don't pray dumb ones. Okay, here we go. My prayers are more effective. Here's the second one. My life is more reflective. As Christ abides in us, we reflect on the character of Christ. It's another evidence that Christ works in us. The third thing is my focus becomes more on love and obedience to the master when I abide in Christ. I enter into a dance, a rhythm, a love affair with Christ. What a beautiful thing. And the next one is my life is more of a joyful experience in verse 11. He says that their joy might be complete, their joy might be full. You enter into that, it's more joyful when you dwell in Christ. When the message of Christ gets confirmed in your heart, when it gets confirmed in life, in deed, in action, when it transforms your thought patterns, your thought life, you begin to have the joy of the Lord. Oh God, bring joy in this place. So if we want the power of Jesus, go there quickly with me. There's four things I want to show you quickly. We get humble. Matthew 18, 4 says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can I just tell you all the coolest thing? In the first service, you didn't witness it. Lily is this big. Well, probably that big. Not, not very tall. She walked into the baptistry this morning, and she almost went under, and I grabbed her. Because her eyes got that big. Like, oh, what am I going into now? Because she was praising Jesus before we went in, and it freaked her out. And I reached out and I grabbed her up. And then she proclaimed, Jesus Christ is in my heart. She shouted it. 
the humility of a little child. And I know this, the Father in heaven was very pleased with Lily this morning. Amen? And he tells us to come the same way, almost with that fear. And, you know, I always love when people come to the baptistry because I've done it so much. I know what's in there. I know it's a jacuzzi experience and it's warm and it's a God moment. But they always, they always walk with fear and trepidation. Like, is there going to be alligators when we get in there? Are there personal demons that will attack me? I mean, I don't know. It's just fun. And then, and then you, you see them. They, they, they step. And then I see. They go from this to like, hey, this is cool. But little Lily this morning, she stepped off and she went under. And for a minute, I thought, oh, dead gum. I said, we had a convert. She wanted to proclaim Jesus with humility, and we lost her. <laughs> but we pulled her up. Did you ever see that video of the young man that did a cannonball? Coolest video I've seen on YouTube. He went running in, and he jumped from... Wait a minute, I, I didn't mean... Let's take this out, edit this out, okay? I do not want to see it at Christ's community. It was very disrespectful, but it was very funny. And he jumped off the top thing and did a cannonball right on the pastor. It's cool. Okay, so humility. Cry out to the Lord for the sovereign activity of the Spirit. I want you to write down this about humility. When we're not humble, not humble, we deplete the feeling of God. Sin depletes the feeling of God. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. The second thing is we want to be prayerful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually, pray without ceasing, pray always, be connected, be dependent upon my Son, trust in Him. The third is obedient. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. You and I have to make a choice. Who do we obey? God, man. God, man. I make that choice every day, just like you. I make it as a spiritual leader of the fellowship of, known as Christ Community Church. It's momentum. Will I choose God? Will I choose man? I'm going to choose God. I hope you will. And the fourth one, this is critical, broken. Ezekiel 18.30, not a common passage, but listen to it. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, and then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all offenses. You have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Because you will not repent. You are stubborn. You are hard-hearted. You will not turn from your sin. So this morning, if you choose to abide in Christ, you have to turn from sin. The Lord moves in broken people. He moves in broken people. We'll come. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was there. Yeah, that the Holy Spirit started playing the guitar. Well, y'all, that's, that's God's word for this morning. I hope it spoke to your heart. Bow your heads with me. I'm going to invite some elders, Mike and Nathan. Maybe, Nathan, if you're over here or somewhere, if you'll hit that cross. Mike, if you'll go to that cross. I'm going to invite some of you just to walk over there and take their hand in Christian fellowship and say, Brother Mike, Brother Nathan, would you, would you pray with me? Would you pray for the power of God to become real or more evident in my life? We ask them to pray maybe over you for the filling of the Holy Spirit, if that's a prayer concern. Just go for prayer. It's a great thing. Right now, you could just slide over there quietly. Or maybe you're going, I believe this power starts with a relationship with Jesus. It does. Would you call upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord today? Would you call him to save you from sin and he'll meet you there? Cry out unto Jesus. 
Let's just give it just a few moments. I'm going to invite you to stand. Everybody stand to your feet. Sometimes it's a little easier to move when you're not sitting. So I'm just going to ask you just as Will plays, just in the quietness, the beauty of the moment of grace, move quietly to the cross. Father, I thank you for a word from John. And Lord, I pray that we, when we get pruned, because we want to be pruned to show that we are your children, I pray that we would bear more fruit and more fruit. God, make this a fruit-bearing fellowship. Make us fruit-bearing Christ followers. Make us true Christ followers. May we dwell in you and you in us. Lord, speak truth in us and over us. We yield control to you today, Holy Spirit. Fill our lives with power and grace. In the name of Christ, amen. Now remain standing. I want to give you a couple announcements. Here it is. First, 